Welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had the life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my buddy, my pal, uh, been on tour with this guy all over the place, Nathan Williams, a.k.a. Waves, is on the show today. A fun conversation. He's been ducking this thing for years. Finally made it happen. And uh, I feel like a weight has been lifted, but more on that in one second. First, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutabunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer, and normally the guy that books the guests, but I book this one all by myself. He also runs a, uh, an Instagram page and a Facebook page for this podcast. Both are found at Turned Out of Punk on their respective platforms. If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it, subscribe to it, rate it. Or uh, head over to TurnedOutOfPunk.com and grab a t-shirt. Thank you to everyone who has done that. It does help keep the lights on around here, and that is much appreciated. And uh, I play in a band. We're called Fucked Up. We're going to be doing a lot of stuff over the summer, uh, and touring and records and the like, including playing uh, a show well, tonight, if you're listening to this, the day it dropped, and tomorrow in Toronto, and then going on tour on the East Coast, and then stuff in Europe. Anyway, more information for all this can be found at fuckedup.cc. And that is it. All right, on to today's show. As I said off the top, my buddy, my pal, Nathan, is on the show today. Been on tour with him a lot. All, all over the place we've we've hung out. And uh, someone I've watched grow up. I'm sure he'd say the same about me, too. And, uh, you know, I feel like we grew up together. And now here we are finally having this conversation. There's been a couple close calls where he was supposed to come on the show and then it didn't happen, so... Now that we finally got Nathan, we can work on the real, the real goal, getting Stephen Pope on the show. Just kidding, Nathan. Uh, but Nathan is uh, someone who, uh, you know, as I, I tell him in this episode, I think he led to the critical reassessment of pop punk. I think he's a key part of that whole thing. I'm going to talk about it on the show. You're going to hear it in a second. If you want to check out Waves on Tour, it's the 20th anniversary of King of the Beach. How, how crazy is that? No, it can't be true. 20th? It's got to be like the 12th. Did I read that right? King of the Beach. Yeah, tw- 12th year anniversary. I was going to be like, 20 years? Holy fuck. No, there's no way it's 20 years. No, 12th and 12 year anniversary. Uh, you'll be going on tour for that. You can find out where to get tickets for those shows. Actually, I think you buy tickets for those shows at ghostramp.com, which is Nathan's label. And uh, you can pick up, yeah, as I say, all those show tickets right there. You can also, if you want to support Nathan or check out some stuff and get real deep head about it, over at patreon.com slash waves with the two Vs. Not like the person on the subway I saw the other day who I thought was wearing a wave shirt, the band, but turns out they were just wearing a shirt about, I guess, waves, the uh, water-based phenomena of, of water crashing on the shore. So there you go. So this is Waves with two Vs, though, in the case of the band. And that is it. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Nathan Williams on Turned Out a Punk. Nathan, finally, it has happened. Thank you for coming on the show. (laughs) Yeah, it only took seven years. I'm here. You're you to me though were like one of the first people I wanted to have on this show, and 
you know, we had a close call. We had a couple close calls over the years, but now, yeah. now it's happening. Well, I'm excited to be on. You've done a lot with it. I, I was listening to it yesterday. Your uh, episode with um, uh, what's we we man's name? Jason. J- uh, Jason uh, Acuna. Acuna. Jason Acuna. Yeah, I thought it was uh, really interesting. It's funny, like some of these. Uh, I figure you probably, you know, see it a lot because you've done so many of these episodes now. But like, I feel like the. Uh, a lot of people get into um, punk a lot of the same ways. Maybe it was just because he's from Southern California as well, but a lot of similarities I saw with just like skateboarding, Big Brother magazine, that type of stuff. Very similar. Yeah, I think it's 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 there's like a few different ways people come into this thing generally, right? Like there's some people that get into it through an older sibling, some people, you know, and it depends also generationally. A lot of people get into it through video games. Like Tony Hawk, that was a huge one. Yeah, me. I spent. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess I did too. Yeah, I got Tony Hawk in a Pizza Hut order. I ordered a pizza, and it was like a Tony Hawk Pro Skater demo disc, and it was just the first level, and it had a a Goldfinger song on it, um, maybe a couple others, and that you know that was like I'd never heard of Goldfinger and. I didn't get into ska really, but uh, you know, that was something. Yeah, it, it. I think there's also like it was Amoeba by the Adolescents on that one. Or I know it's yeah, on one yeah. of them. Yeah, I think it was. And then there was another game that came in that same disc because it was like a sampler disc. It was probably an Activision sampler disc, and they had like a snowmobile game, and they had um, ah, fuck, I'm forgetting its name. What's a uh, uh, Rob Zombie? Dragula was on yeah. there. No, it's like as bags yeah it's it became a you know and, and i think it continues to be as we were just talking off air like a a huge place to be exposed to music the way video games are so pervasive in our culture it's, you're bound to find a couple fans if you're on one of those soundtracks yeah i mean you know like some of the first time i heard a lot of bands is grand theft auto that's probably like the biggest one for a lot of people i think so to like be a part of that game and then like see what it does for your band as well like on it is like it's you know it's career changing yeah you you got to program like a radio station for it right yeah i did like the punk station in grand theft auto 5 me and steven we were like the radio djs oh that's awesome thanks for asking fucked up little uh (laughs) behind the behind the curtain uh they don't they don't really let you uh they don't really let you choose the songs <laughs> um, sure buddy whatever but i wanted to ask you i gotta start this off the way they all start off which is uh how did you get into punk was that the first time you ever came across it was on the uh that disc or had you heard about it before no no i had i um my probably my sister's boyfriend was like the first he was in a band um, when I lived in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, and uh, he was in a band called Secret Defenders, and uh, it was just like a pop punk band. And so I, you know, would go to their shows. He would like make her these um, like mix CDs, and they were mostly like um, sort of like indie bands, 
Um, and so that's how I got into like um, sub pop, Deep Elm Records, um, Jade Tree. It was a lot of like sort of emo, early emo stuff. Pedro the Lion and Jets to Brazil, Apple Seed Cast, that type of thing. Um, but once I started like looking into those labels, I found, I think probably the first band that I really liked that was a, like a punk band was um, Kid Dynamite because they were on, I think they were on Jade Tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, that was probably the first punk show I saw. But, you know, like a lot of, a lot of pop punk, like, you know, MXPX and NoFX and all of the punkorama like this it was a lot of sampler discs right so it was like the punkaramas um fat music for fat people uh i think the nitro one was like make my day something make my day punk something like that yep they all all the record labels had those little samplers and so that was how i like you know found out about afi or dead kennedys or whatever it was I'd love to see the sales numbers on some of those samplers because CDs were so expensive back then that like, yeah, like I didn't have a lot of, I had some of the nitro records, but like I had that sampler, you know, and I had some of the fat records, but I had that sampler. Like it was a really, you know, it, it was like the, the gateway to any of these labels. Yeah. And a lot of those bands just didn't put out very good records. Like they had one good song and it ended up on that sampler and you were like, Oh man, this is great. And if you, somehow had enough money to like actually buy their the band cd outright you know it wasn't great i'm not going to name any bands in particular but i definitely there are a couple that i was like ah man why did i buy this um but those samplers i mean they had to make money because all of them you know they kept spitting them out there were volumes like one through five of punkorama probably more than that but of all of those fat records did like you know short music for short people and it was it became like a pretty bad shtick after a while but even i bef- bought them all even before that too when you had like sort of the the pan label samplers where you'd have like bands from every label on it you know i'm thinking about we had one up here the snow jam sampler that had that's where i heard blink 182 for the first time and it was almost like a great equalizer because you know, all these labels were kind of like, you know, some of them had great distribution, like Epitaph, some had shittier distribution, but presented all side by side, the ones that had great songs like that, you're like, you're saying, if you put your best song on that comp, people are going to check out your record afterwards, because, you know, that was like a, a big a selling point. It's sort of the way that Spotify does playlisting now. Mm-hmm. It's like, uh, get everybody to one place at one time, put your best foot forward and it's good for the artist the only difference is all of these labels could do it now spotify just you know owns the entire world so it's all one place yeah it's funny kit dynamite i think is also a super underrated band and how big they were and the impact they had at that time is you know i think i don't know overlooked a little bit now like lifetime overshadows it obviously but like kid dynamite was so like they were the band Oh yeah. My first, uh, you know, this is going to date me here, but my first uh, aim screen name was kid dynamite 15. So, and I think I was 15 years old. That's why I put the 15. Yeah. Um, But I liked kid dynamite more because that was the one that I heard first. And Mm -hmm. I didn't hear lifetime until afterwards. Uh, 
Like I had been into shorter, faster, louder for a while. Um, I had like bought their merch and then somebody told me, I saw, I saw Kid Dynamite play at a record store in either Richmond or, or maybe Virginia beach or something. And, uh, I met a kid there that was like a fan of the band and he talked to me about lifetime. He's like, Oh, you got to get Jersey's best dancer or Jersey's best dancers, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And so I went and I checked that out and I was like, Oh man. I mean, I just loved, I loved pop punk. It was just like, I still love pop punk. What am I talking about? Well, it's funny. Cause I was thinking about it today, you know, like, I think you're one of the most influential people in music that I know because you kind of legitimized pop punk in the critical sphere you know like and i think you know the critical reassessment of blink 182 that that follows and all that stuff i think it starts with waves becoming you know critical darlings and you're kind of being unapologetically in love with pop punk because it is it's such a malign genre for the most part you know it still is like some people come on here and and it's it's you know they 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 talk up a a blue streak about how much they hate the genre that's a that's one of the nicest things anybody's ever said to me and of course it came from a canadian the most polite people in the world appreciate that damien um well, i've been a bully to I you too over the years so that's coming from a really <laughs> legitimate place uh i don't know if i'd give myself that much credit but it's nice to hear um i i do think that you're right like pop punk has always had this sort of like thing around it where it's like it's it wasn't legitimate because it was a lot of shit piss fart cunt cocksucker motherfucker sort of thing right like where it's just a bunch of like dick jokes and um uh sort of whiny guys that can't sing very well same four chord sort of thing didn't like it's weird that you know now it sort of got its critical critical acclaim like people now are like oh wow uh blink 182 write good songs or whatever like it it's not different much different to me a lot of these bands to the beatles like four chords and a good melody the only difference is like you know no effects and blink 182 are, are better than the beatles that's really only <laughs> <laughs> hey they all suck compared to bastards so that's <laughs> that's, that's that's my opinion <laughs> but uh i i feel uh yeah, I feel like like you're saying it is it's maligned because I think the lyrical content and the image put forward and I think it's also cuz like a lot of the punk thing comes out of the critical sphere, you know, going back to the beginning of this thing and anything that was viewed as being populist in any way or you know, at worst careerist in some way was viewed with like huge scorn and huge disdain and I think by you making stuff that was lo-fi and almost anti-commercial in its presentation. I think that allowed people to kind of like look at it a little bit differently. You know, I think the woods, this thing happening at the same time too, you know, I think it was, I don't know, like I've, I've always been fascinated. I've always wanted to have this conversation with you because like anytime we hang out, we're, we're not talking about music like this. So I'm intrigued to hear your journey to get there. Well, I mean, I was, I was heavily, uh, influenced by by that sort of thing that was happening at the time like uh um like car park woodsist tic-tac totally the like sort of scene that was happening around like jay reotard like those uh record labels and that were doing like sort of you know blank dogs and that type of thing 
it was cool because it was like it seemed sort of like uh, attainable in a way like i've had i've had people come up to me before and be like you're you're the reason i started making music because i saw what you did and i thought actually before i finish this a guy that i took on tour i won't say his name but we took this band on tour and one night i got drunk with the uh, singer of the band and he said to me you're the reason i started this band and i was like oh that's so nice man thank you so much he's like yeah i listened to the early ways records and i thought to myself if that guy can do it i can definitely do it and i can do it better than him and i thought all right okay okay but i do actually understand a little bit rude don't appreciate it but i do understand in the sense that it's like it's attainable because you don't have to go to a studio you don't have to pay money it's something that you can see yourself like it seems easy to do you just sit in front of you know garage band or whatever it is and play some shitty drums and guitar and sing some wah wah wahs over it and you got a song and I think that's the great thing about punk is that there's always this deception to it that it's super easy to do, you know, and in the same way when people heard, you know, the desperate bicycles tell everyone, like, just go and do this. Like, I think that's that's the thing about this music. It's always going to encourage people to get involved in it and be involved in it because, you know, you hear it, you like it. You're like, I want to try it. Not as a dicky way to say yeah. it, though. No, 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 not at all. I mean, I think that was the appeal to it. Like when I, my, the first guitar I bought, uh, I learned, I did learn like some Beatles songs off top. By the way, I was joking about the Beatles. I like them. But I learned some uh, open chords or whatever. And then the first songs I wanted to learn after that were like good riddance and like the, the songs I heard on those sampler CDs. And those are the ones that I could learn because they were, you know, four chord songs. You just had to learn how to downstrum quickly, uh, play like 16th notes. And other than that, like, there are pretty simple songs, which is fun because that like, you know, it, it makes everybody feel like it is attainable. Did you know Travis, like Little Ugly Mane back in uh, Virginia growing up? So that band that I was talking to, my sister's, um, my sister's boyfriend there's a picture of my sister and Travis at a show 20 years ago. They didn't know each other in Virginia. And me and Travis didn't find out until like last year. Like we were in me, me and him were probably in like the same room together. We knew a bunch of the same kids. Um, probably at that kid Dynamite show. Probably. Yeah. We are. Uh, music taste where the moment we met like all we did was just talk about you know bands for like hours and hours um our music taste like is very very similar it's really crazy how that works and you know because like the virginia punk scene was not a bit it was not a big thing like yeah. it was tight-knit so if you were in it like you knew somebody that knew somebody at least but to see that picture like years later i'll send it to you afterwards um it's like it's pretty crazy. And Travis is dressed like exactly how you'd expect him to be dressed. It's, it's perfect. Well, it's amazing to think that like probably at that kid dynamite show you're there. Travis might've been there. Probably someone from avail was there and Joanna angel from burning angel was there too. Cause she, she was, she said that they were her grateful dead. And probably she, Joanna angel saw him on every East coast show. She said when she was on the show. 
Oh, really? Wow. Um, well, yeah, then, I mean, if it was somewhere on the East Coast, I saw them twice. I saw them play in Richmond at like an actual uh, venue. And then I saw them, I, I want to say it was Virginia Beach at a, like a record store. And for the, the thing that I remember for some, I don't know why I remember this, but uh, the singer wasn't wearing shoes. And uh, I thought, <laughs> I don't know why I remember that. That's just a thing that sticks out in my head. He wasn't wearing shoes. So, yeah, like you mentioned getting good, you know, getting into good riddance and wanting to play good riddance songs. Did you go and see them play and all those fat bands when they were coming through town? Yeah, I saw a couple of them. Um, the one like, so I ran into like a bit of trouble. Um, my my mom and mostly my mom didn't really pay attention to what I was listening to. They, my mom and dad met because they were in a band together. Um, but later on became like, very uh devout strict christians and um i they found me listening to a, a gutter mouth cd yeah. and that like i think the song was called like my mom's a cunt or your mom's a cunt or something like that yeah uh, and uh and that like sort of ended that thing <laughs> for me for a bit they sort of looked deeper into it and they didn't like they didn't like that and so that's sort of when MXPX comes into the fold. And I saw that my parents finally let me go see MXPX because I was like, they're Christians. And uh, so they were like, okay, this is wholesome. So we went, uh, me and my buddies went and we saw MXPX in Norfolk, Virginia, or Virginia Beach, one of the two. And uh, we met um, Yuri, I think his name was, and uh, the drummer. I don't remember what his name was. They were outside the club. They were outside the club and uh, they were like, hey, do you want to like come check out the tour bus? <laughs> and we were like, okay. And so we went on their tour bus. I mean, if you ever have any of those guys on the show, I, I don't know if they would remember this, but ask them yeah. if, they, if they asked a couple of 15-year-old male kids <laughs> to come on their tour bus in Norfolk, Virginia years ago, <laughs> looking back on it, I'm like, that's an interesting thing, but they were like the nice, they were the nicest guys. They just wanted to like show us the tour bus, I guess. Um, <laughs> you guys so, just like walk around. And yeah. Like... Yeah. We walked around. I remember feeling underwhelmed. Yeah. I remember feeling underwhelmed about it. Um, so uh, like, Oh, that's, that's what a, tour buses i don't know what i expected to see like big screen tvs and that type of thing but uh mike the singer from mxpx was on the podcast and he was telling me we were talking about it and i was telling him how it comes up time and time again how they were almost like an escape hatch for a lot of kids to be able to go to punk shows or to be into music that wasn't hymns or straight religious folk music because their parents wouldn't allow them to listen to secular punk music. Yeah, that's so funny. I guess I never thought about that, but that that's interesting that that was more than just me because my friend's parents would let them go to like, or it seemed like they could go and they could do whatever they felt like. Like uh, even like with something like wrestling, if I wanted to watch uh, like WWF, I had to go to my friend Andrew's house because his parents would let us watch 
WWF, but my mom, she let me watch WCW, but WWF, probably because it was big in the news that the DX was doing the like suck it thing. Yeah. She just knew like, Oh, I, I don't want my son to, you know, tell his teacher to suck it or whatever. So that was, that was the one she didn't let me watch, but what was the vibe of your parents band? It was called summer wind. It was like sort of like eighties pop music. Uh, I can send it to you. I have, I have their seven inch in storage somewhere with my records. Oh, I got to um, hear this. Oh, it's kind of banging. There's this yeah. one song. It's like uh, something about like, send me a kiss, kiss me on my lips. It's not just for kicks. I don't know. Whatever. That's awesome. So that, like, but by that point, had they kind of like disavowed that stuff or did they talk about like going to shows back then or were they like, you know, did you ever get to see them play? N no, no. You know, what's crazy is my, uh, old manager, uh, Jonathan Daniels, who manages uh, Green Day and Fall Out Boy and Weezer, he used to book shows at the Troubadour, and he booked my mom and my dad's band in in the seventies, like you know, forever ago or eighties. I don't know. That's wild. Um, I know, small world, right? They toured then, um, right? So that that means they must have toured. No, they didn't tour. We lived in L.A., so oh. I was born. I was born in LA and my parents were hippies at the time. Um, and I was raised in a commune and, uh, and you know, whatever happened. Uh, and then they decided, okay, we're going to, we're Christians now. I think that's how it works. Like, uh, you go crazy. You do a lot of psychedelics, you party, you join a commune gets too weird. And then you have kids and you be, you become a Christian. So by that point, had they like also were you like into smoking weed? Like were they in like was that an issue for them if you were smoking pot or drinking or anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was like baptized Catholic. I was like very they were super I I went to a Christian school. They were really strict um with the first two kids. And then they sort of, you know. I think I was such a handful that they were like, we're this didn't work to try and be strict. We're just going to like, you know, lay off a bit. I realize that now as a parent who has three kids that that's why the third child is always the chillest. Like a lot of my friends are third children because they're like super chill. And I realize it's because by that point, yeah, the parents are so broken. That it's like, <laughs> <laughs> have at it, kid. <laughs> like, yeah, my, my dad jokes a, a lot about how like, uh, I, that I just, broke them down with like <laughs> but you know that's what you're when you send somebody to christian school and you make them go to church and and you like put these all of these big rules in place i feel like that's just bound to that's bound to happen yeah did you uh did you get in any of those other tooth and nail bands other than mxpx um yeah uh let's see okay uh like was they out on tooth and record yeah, they run Zao. They run it. Yeah, Zao. Uh, let's see. I can't remember any other Tooth and Nail bands off the top of my head. I always get like Revelation and Tooth and Nail mixed up for mm. some reason. Um, well, because I think Shy Halud, maybe Shy Halud. Oh yeah, okay. Maybe Zao, but Shy Halud was Zao people, but on Revelation. So 
there was like this kind of like pipeline a little bit. I, guess. I so I got into the more like I would call that metalcore. You know, I I don't know other people call it whatever, but I got into the more like metalcore when I moved back to Southern California because it was big at the time in San Diego. Um, like people were really into three one G and that sort of thing, and then there's this like other side that was like the as I lay dying, every time I die, every band name is five words and ends in die, and so that was sort of the thing that was happening um, here. So that was the shows that I ended up seeing a lot. You know, you mm-hmm. go see the Locust or Blood Brothers or those bands, or you go see um, like a metalcore band in like a rec center. Yeah. It's funny how like San Diego, you know, because like it's, it's, I guess it's big, but it doesn't seem that big when you're there, but how many different completely almost separate punk scenes, it seems were happening at the same time, like right on top of each other, like through. Oh, for sure. Uh, Like I would like split it up into venues almost like there was sort of like a scene at, the Che Cafe, that was probably like the, that was the one that I was sort of at the most. And then there was a scene in East County, which was like, you know, it was more of like a, it was like people would go see like 18 Visions and Madball and like, like that type of thing. It was more mm-hmm. like people that wanted to like violently mosh. Um, yeah. uh, and then, um, and then North County had a scene that was like the cool bands um, that were like the cool, like local bands that were being brought up in San Diego. There was a band called Gasoline Please at the time. Um, and uh, Please Mr. Gravedigger and uh, like a, that sort of thing. And then there's like Southern, like even more Southern, right? Like there was... Um, sewer shows that were happening in san diego at the time like closer to tijuana that had like a lot of bands there's this band called basura that was uh either from chula vista or tijuana and they would play with my uh, buddy's band called drats and you'd have these shows they'd like lower amps and stuff into these sewers and you'd like crawl through this little tunnel and you'd go down there and and they're you know my my friend DJ would have a space bag is what do we, what we called it. It was just like when you rip the bag out of a box of wine and he would tie it to his bullet belt and I just like put my head under it and he would just, you know, rip me off some wine, just get, get down. So were you like a crusty kid back then? Or are you like just hanging with everyone? No, I hung with everybody. I was just a, a freak of nature. I, I had like a, prince albert haircut like i cut my bangs like straight across the top and then i had like this long ass mullet and i'd wear like like super tight jeans with like uh you know a long ripped sweater and i'd go to like the crust show but all of my all of my friends were like the the big tough crust dudes or the dudes in bands so i, I didn't get like fucked with very much and everybody was pretty friendly what also feels like like you're saying there's like you know that whole locust 31g blood brothers kind of world at the same time it is you know not blood brothers are from there but i mean like but there's that kind of world 
you know, it seems like a, a town where, and then there's also the Rock from the Crypt stuff and all that whole, like, other Hot Snakes, Rocket from the Crypt, yeah. yeah. Uh, Swami Records. Yeah, like, it feels like there's, like, a lot of just, like, people just doing their own thing a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I, it's it's a weird thing because, like, it's, it seems like, because these bands get huge in San Diego. and And for whatever reason, not a lot of them sort of break outside Southern California mm-hmm. really outside of San Diego. And I never like really understood why that was because there was like so much energy and you'd be like, damn, this band, like you see how they could like command a room in San Diego and like, and then it just like sort of wouldn't, you know, wouldn't work outside. But we played with that band run for your fucking life at the reunion. Oh, show. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it was crazy. How many people were there for that? Oh yeah. Oh, because people are just like nuts about it. Uh, Run for your fucking life, Drats, Danny Tanner. Like there were these bands in San Diego that people were fucking obsessed with. Um, yeah, it was a like, uh, like, just sort of like cult-like uh, activities. Well, it's so weird too, because then you also think there's so many bands from there that break nationally. You know, like there's you know locust unbroken blink 182 hot snakes yourself um, rock from the crypt uh um fluff there's you know it just feels yeah. like there's like a, a swindled there's <laughs> i know a lot of san diego bands yeah yeah that's true actually um i mean i don't know what the scene was like when blink 182 was playing down here and blink 182 is from poway which mm-hmm. is i used to uh run a record store or manage a record store i didn't run it but uh i ran it into the ground went out of business uh but uh uh poway is like almost its own entity into itself like if you're in san diego and you're like hey come see see my band in poway like you're gonna get you know two people that show up Yeah, it was interesting talking to Tom when he was on the show, like trying to find out how they fit in, because like you're saying, there's just like all these different kind of things happening. And to imagine, like I think in other cities, like these worlds would cross over a lot more than they seem to in San Diego. But like you're saying, it's it seems to be very kind of like regional to different parts of the city. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a bunch of pictures of them like very early on playing the Casbah. So I mm-hmm. bet they just sort of came down into like more of the you know primary san diego scene and i mean they were i don't know why people always had this like thing with sandy uh, with a um, blink 182 being like a bad live band i feel like they're a great live band so if i if they just played around san diego and people were around i feel like that would have been enough to start getting them some some fans yeah and i guess it's also like you kind of got to be good in that city. Like the Casbah is like a, a world famous venue in that regard. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, we went on tour with Blink-182 and to see like, think about them playing the Casbah and then play these stadiums with them. It's like, that's sort of like the top of the top. There's like a couple of these like pop punk bands that have just like, you know, done sort of the like unthinkable, like Blink-182, Green Day, I don't know if you'd call Weezer a pop punk band, but I sort of put them in that category. It's interesting with Weezer because I've always kind of like 
you know, that there's that early metal stuff that uh, Rivers did before Weezer and things like that. But I guess he was a huge fan of wax, like the California wax and used to go to all their shows. And that's how he found out about Spike Jones because Spike Jones did all the early wax stuff. And and uh, huh. so I guess that was his entry entry point. And so I guess it was kind of punk in a weird way. So I guess we can lump Weezer in to the category. Yeah. I mean, if you've ever talked to Rivers, he's uh he's a, a strange guy and his music taste is super eclectic but like wouldn't surprise me if his like knowledge of punk is like is vast yeah. to say the least well we'll have to wait for that rivers episode and then i'll then i'll force him to do what i'm forcing you to do right now uh i, I put out a, i put out a split with him i'll i'll, I'll get you guys you make connection you guys together yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. when did you uh start playing music yourself i got a uh or my parents got me a fender or not a fender a squire strat like the knockoff um when i was 13 uh and i put a bunch of stickers on it like you know i ordered like a sticker pack from uh fat records and epitaph so i had like a good riddance no effects like Covered the guitar and stickers like I wanted it to look like Blink-182. Um, I got a bunch of uh, stickers from PETA um, uh, that were like no fur stickers. I wasn't I wasn't even a vegetarian yet. I became a vegetarian later for a bit. Um, but did I put no fur stickers all over my guitar. Did I ever tell you the crazy story that Davey Havoc told me where he was at the guy who runs PETA's house no. at a dinner party? and sitting uh and sat down beside this guy and was just talking to the guy and he's like oh you play in band he's like i used to be in a band and he's like oh what band you used to be in he goes i was i was in waves i was the original drummer of waves oh brian olsh yeah so his older brother was the guy that i was talking about who was my sister's boyfriend that's where travis and her like Travis and my sister were at that show. His older brother was in a band called Secret Defenders. That was like a big band in the scene. Hi, Chloe. In San Diego. Or San Diego. And Norfolk. Norfolk. Damn. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off on the guitar sticker thing, but that was such a weird story. He's like, yeah, it's like so yeah. random. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. He, he played the first tour with me. Um, yeah, so uh, got got the guitar covered it in stickers and then uh, started a band like maybe a year after or maybe six months, something like that. Started a band like, you know, once I learned how to like play chords, uh, we were called One Step Short and it was me and my friend Mike Hill and Taylor Potter. It's like kids that I played soccer with. Um, and, uh, you know, we played like parties and stuff. We didn't have a singer. Uh, and we didn't have a bassist. It was just two guitars and drums, which is <laughs> sick, sick look. Uh, and we and we basically just played like, you know, the four chords, like we played damn it, like four different ways, basically, <laughs> with no uh, vocals. None of you wanted to sing or is it just like no PA to even try? We, we well, yeah. So that was one. I think we we added singing later on and then like it was. um and then people didn't like us. Uh, but uh, it was like too hard to sing and play guitar for us, I think. Like we, were, we barely knew how to play guitar. So having to concentrate on playing and singing at the same time 
was like too much. And yeah, the P, the PA was a, was probably an issue as well. So what kind of shows did you play? Parties, people's backyards. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that was basically it. People's backyards, random shows, um, just parties. It was really just parties. Yeah. What about when you moved out to San Diego? What was the first thing you did music wise? Um, San Diego. Do you have like a screamo uh, band that none of us know about, like proto screamo style? No, I was in a band in uh, Portland when I was like, I went to Portland for like a year and I was in a band uh that was on oh man i'm gonna forget this tape label's name they were oh my god there was this tape label i bet you would know what it is too you remember the band shearing pinks yes okay i don't know if it was his tape label they, they were from canada right bc maybe maybe bc i think yeah vancouver okay. yeah so they had a tape label and they put out this band that I was in in Portland, like a couple of tapes. And it was like, I don't even know what you would call it. It was like, sort of like, it almost sounded like carnival music. It was like very strange. <laughs> we had two bass players. <laughs> so from two guitars uh, to two bass players. Yeah, I had to make up for the <laughs> earlier one. I couldn't figure out like the amount of instruments. <laughs> I was that's why waves work so well. And then actually, you know what? And then in San Diego, I was in a band called Fantastic Magic, which was like, I think we were really into like, at that point, probably into like the Vendra Banhart and Animal Collective. And so like, I think I played like a mandolin. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then, um, and my buddy played, uh, my buddy was uh, played like a, the Indian drum, like tablas. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the in, we all the instruments were always didn't get the instruments exactly right until waves and then finally I, I was kind of like okay I'm just gonna do this thing by myself and so I, I was into you know like I said I was into blank dogs and inspired by like you know Ariel like Ariel Pink doing like home recorded music at the time was like sort of a big thing because that was like really lo-fi mm -hmm. and it was like seemed like bigger than life like that was like a really big artist because any anything that was on like pitchfork at the time or like people talked about like that was like whoa um bands like no age uh and then like the whole like new york scene right like woodsist and and that type of thing and, and that was sort of like the beginning of a, like actual career in music yeah it really did feel like uh like kind of like an amazing sort of diy moment in music again where you could kind of like just do whatever you wanted to do and you know like you might get reviewed and you know it was like the the pitchfork uh sweepstakes band got love on pitchfork like you get signed to a label you get you get offered to play huge festivals like yeah for sure that was a sweep you cash that check right away even if your band wasn't very good if you got like the benefit of the doubt you could like sell 10,000 records with that like uh cosign mm -hmm. um <clears throat> not the case anymore right now i feel like it's like we were talking about earlier like much bigger and more important thing is like it's like 
placement. Mm-hmm. And I don't know exactly like how you earn those things. If it's like knowing somebody, but it's like, you know, Spotify playlist that that's the stuff that like sort of moves or getting like a, a random, like viral TikTok song, yeah. like um, King Con. Here's another band that like I was listening to forever ago that like had been doing the lo-fi home recorded thing for as like longer than I have. Oh, since the nineties, like those, going back it, to the space shits. Yeah, exactly. And for them to like all of a sudden, you know, have this like massive hit because of TikTok, it's like it's mind blowing how the way that like music works now. Because like there couldn't be somebody more deserving. Because like King Con is the best, um, the nicest guy. But uh, it's just it's such a strange. It's such a strange way for it to happen, you know, after years of putting out decades of putting out great records, by the way. Yeah. Touring, like being one of the best live bands ever. Do you ever have to oh play God, after so the shrines? <laughs> King yeah. Yeah. So we, yeah, yeah. We, we played with the, the shrines before um, and just like such, I, I don't even know, like, it's more of like a, it's like, it's almost like theater yeah. in a way. It's like, it's like a, It's the, I don't know. That's the only way I can think. I don't I hope he doesn't think that is like a, like a slight, but like, it's so theatrical. It's almost like a little play condensed into like a, a, a band set. You see something like that. And then like you go and you're like, Hey, we're waves. And you like play your songs out of tune and you have, you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. That's what we felt like. I remember we had to play. We headlined over them in the OCs one night, oh, and it was just oh, like that's a tough one. Oh my that's god, we one. came out sounding like we were on, tough one. you know, kids' toys. <laughs> yeah, the OCs. That's another one that's just like, you know, that's a that's one of the better live bands around right now yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, no, there's no, there's no uh, fighting it when you're playing against them. You're after, but you 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 sort of have like a a theatrical thing going i mean i remember like watching you uh even before we had met seeing pictures and stuff and being like whoa i heard this guy like cuts his head open he bleeds all over the place yeah. i was having uh, you a nervous know break- i was having a nervous breakdown like i look at every show uh prior to smoking cannabis as just being me having like a panic attack on stage I know you you brought me in, man. Like you and trash, like you got you and trash talk, like you guys, like Steven, uh, included in this. I guess who would have been the drummer at that point? Jacob, maybe still. Mm. I think so. When I started smoking weed, yeah, uh, probably. Uh, but like smoking weed with you guys, that was like the first people that I really smoked with. Um, no, Billy, probably Billy. I think Billy was already gone. Was he? Well, Jacob doesn't smoke weed, but I, I no, remember. No, I know Jacob was wasn't in... smoking weed with us, but he was there. Oh, okay. It was in the UK? Yeah, that was just after I had broken. Yeah, like I think we came through Amsterdam and I was coming back having broken. <laughs> we put yourself back together, didn't you? Look at you now. I Big did. success. I did. Look at this. Look at this. Maybe if I had smoked weed, maybe uh, maybe I'd uh, found a different path and be a lot more uh, stable and, and happy now. But weed definitely gets me through those live shows. But yeah, like looking back on those old shows, I had... Uh, you know, crazy, crazy anxiety about playing them. And that's why I think 
when you went through that shit in Primavera, I had like yeah. a, a weird moment of empathy for what you were going through because like, fuck, I've, I've, you know, I, I know what it's like to kind of lose shit on stage and be stuck up there. And, and granted, like there were mitigating circumstances, I'm sure in your experience, but yeah, like I had a lot of empathy for what you were going through at that point. No, it's the same thing. It was, it's in, people don't understand like the type of anxiety that goes, you know, into these getting up in front of people and like singing like lyrics about whatever it may be, you know, yours and mine. Like a lot of the songs that I write are about that I'm singing to like thousands of people are about like wanting to kill myself. Like that's a strange thing to get in front of a microphone and say that to a sea of people. And then like on top of it, I, I, you know, I'd never toured before. Um, and, uh, I didn't know how to handle it and just fucking drank, took drugs all day. And like, obviously, you know, at that festival, at, especially. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Cause everybody's at that princess hotel. Remember the princess hotel? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. They had their, they had their own drug dealer at the hotel. Smart <laughs> idea. Primavera. It's going to help people. So, you know, it is what it is, but I think those things are good. I think they're good for you not only to like look back on and, and see things like that you've done in your past that maybe you regret or maybe that, you know, it's, it's sort of part of, that's part of life. You know, you can't have the, it's gotta be peaks and valleys. Right. And, and I look at this, like as much as we're talking about, you know, how incredible these bands are that have these elaborate shows where they're, they're just like these amazing, Oh my gosh. Hello buddy. <laughs> these amazing like performers and consummate professionals and they put on these incredible shows night in and night out i like the authenticity of when you see a band and shit goes wrong you know like not that you want to see people suffering but at the same time like if we're looking at this as being some sort of semblance of an artistic experience like that is the truest expression of art in those moments you know and those are the shows that as terrible as they were for me to go through those bad shows I look back upon now as being like kind of defining shows for me in a lot of ways. Oh, absolutely. And even like little things, right? Like the little things that go wrong, we'll look back like when we're on tour now and we talk about like past shows, like we love to talk about the time that I accidentally stepped off the stage and fell down and like cracked my head or about like, you know, like the things that just go wrong are always yeah. like you know when uh um what's his name from nirvana when they're playing snl and he throws the bass up and it hits him in the head yeah chris novoselic no yeah, yeah. chris novoselic uh like those are always i so there was a um so i do this other band called spirit club with my little brother and my friend andrew caddick and he andrew caddick used to be in this band called jeans wilder and he was sort of his live shows were always sort of like chaotic like yeah. where he would sort of like get fed up and like you know it would be like you never knew what you were gonna get from him and he would you know he'd show up an hour late with a guitar that for some reason only had two strings on it <laughs> and he would sing two songs and be like fuck this and just like get up and walk out and you're like fuck what that was so entertaining though like this is great. Uh, super talented guy. But like, you know, sometimes those things like 
I think they're so interesting, maybe not so interesting, but like relatable because like sometimes it, that is how it feels like, fuck this. I just, I don't even want to do this. I feel like that sometimes. And I like recently my friend made this movie called tramps looking at new romanticism, but like also looking at sort of like the artier side of punk when it first happens in London. And I think like you look at these shows as being sort of like, art performance pieces where like this is performance art where it's not necessarily going to always be enjoyable in the conventional way of something being enjoyable like this is meant to be something that sometimes is challenging and part of that challenge like if you like this music because there's depressing sad songs sometimes you have to deal with the fact that the people that are making it are depressed sad people at times and you're going to see it for real oh yeah absolutely and it's probably better for them it is a release in the end of the day. I mean, people that sing happy songs are depressed too. Yeah. Uh, you know, so go, I, I can't imagine going out there and pretending to be happy all the time. I, I, sometimes I'm glad that I like wear a lot of my stuff on my sleeve because it's like, I feel like people don't expect as much of <laughs> expect as much of me. Because I'm just, they're all, they're like, they're like, okay, that guy, we know he's sort of a mess. So it's fine. Well, no, people expect you to be real. And I think that's why you've kind of been able to cultivate this like cult around you in, in, in a positive-ish way is because like people are dealing with real shit and they see you dealing with real shit and you're pretty open about it and things like that. And I think that is relatable, you know, and ultimately that's what people are looking for is like some sort of like connection. It's very wholesome. You're a wholesome guy. I got three kids. I got to try and be wholesome. <laughs> you know, I drink oat milk now. I'm a very wholesome guy. You, lo you love to see it. I, you know, I love this wholesome activity, just like celebrating friendship and, and just sitting outside in sunny San Diego. It's all washed out here. You can't really see it, but uh, the telephone poles. Well, I, I think it's, I think it's amazing now, like all of us that were playing these shows together and, and touring and stuff like that, that, you know, we're here and that we get to be here. Cause like the sad reality is like, we've lost a lot of friends in the last couple of years, you know, like, and I mean that you and me and a mutual friend. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, uh, to very unwholesome to some unwholesome activities. And it's just the saddest shit, man. Like uh, I've had now at this point now, like just in the pandemic, like, you know, four friends die from some sort of fentanyl adjacent, thing um actually one thing i saw recently i don't know if it's still on his page but my friend uh twin shadow has a thing that somebody's doing i can't remember the guy's name but he's like passing out these narcan he's like teaching people how to bring narcan to festivals and stuff like that so if anybody's seeing this and they want to learn more about it instagram twin shadow and i think it's in like his highlighted stories and you can see what the guy is doing I think he's just trying to bring attention to like how to use the, the Narcan in case uh, somebody you're with has a, an opioid uh, overdose. Well, I think now, especially it's, it's in everything from what you hear, you know, and that's the, the reality is like we were in a different time a couple of years ago where it, it was uh, it wasn't as prevalent as it is now. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I don't do any of that shit anymore. Also because I'm old and washed. And so my, my hangovers last for like eight days. So it's just not even worth it, but it's just too, it's too much, man. It's like, it's, uh, it's really depressing. 
Um, so, yeah. yeah. Back to more exciting, happy times. Uh, was it the pitchfork thing that that is that where it first took off for you when like pitchfork started writing about you or was there like a blog that was hip to you first? Gorilla vs. bear. That was the first person that wrote, wrote about me. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, and then fader did an article about me and, and those, those were the first two. So fader and GVB and then pitchfork came around to it later. So who are you playing shows with back then? Like what was the scene you kind of found yourself in when you first started doing waves? I was playing drums and bass and guitar myself, just recording it. So I didn't, I wasn't playing shows. I, I got, I had one guy, I can't remember what his name waves. has had like seven drummers now, but <laughs> I can't remember the guy's name. He played with me twice. I think, I think his name was Mike. Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, and, uh, he played two shows with me. And then I'm not sure what happened to him, but I think he moved. He went to Portland or something. Uh, but, you know, like just like sort of parties, we played a, a, like a Halloween party just to see how the song sounded. Um, but like when they were writing about me, like when uh, that was just from like hearing the songs via like MySpace. Or, yeah, was it or, MySpace where you, you first put it up? Like you didn't have a tape or anything. Yeah, yeah, MySpace. And then I think maybe the first tape was probably that Fuck It Tapes. And then uh, Woodsist afterwards was like, oh, yeah, we want to make this into a record. And then, you know, there are a couple of other seven-inch releases. So I, basically at that point, I started just reaching out to people um, and seeing. I was like, oh, I have a release on Fuck It Tapes. And I thought, because you would like, in, in your MySpace profile, you'd put upcoming releases and like i'd see these bands that would have like these releases and you'd be like oh man so you know you'd want to have like post present medium you know tic tac totally yeah uh a young turks um uh whatever it was and then like when you reached out to some so i thought to myself like oh fuck it tapes like that gives me some sort of legitimacy so i just like cold emailed like all of these other labels and all of them responded, you know, like 10 of the labels responded and we're like, yeah, we'll, we'll put out various, we'll press seven inches for you. And so then I was like, fuck, I don't have seven songs. So then I just wrote the rest of the songs for the seven inches, which, you know, ended up putting together the rest of the record. So did you like write, reach out to Bella Union too? Mm, no, they, I'm probably through the Young Turks thing i don't remember I think exactly they do who be, I, I think they're i don't know let me check my notes for a second but i think they actually put out something before young turks did maybe i'm well, wrong then they, prob they yeah, probably yeah mickey mouse put out the came out oh. uh i think before so bored maybe the, the no, same so, year so no no no. mickey mouse was on king of the beach so bored was on my first record okay. so mickey mouse was written actually mickey mouse was the first song i wrote after primavera i came home i bought an sp 550 or sp 500 whatever those like a programming 808 do you want to go inside there you go um and i, I me and my brother uh you know programmed some drums and i sampled do i do i run by the ronettes and played a baritone over it and made mickey mouse and i was like okay i want to like do a different direction for this next like record 
And then I when I met up with Zach Hill and we did Cool Jumper together, which was like really different from what we were doing. So, yeah. Yeah, it's wild because Bell Union, were you like a fan of uh, Cocteau Twins? I was, yeah. That must have been pretty wild. I didn't have a great, I didn't have a great relationship with Bella Union, um, and you know probably has nothing to do with uh, who was it? Mark from Cocktail Simon, Twins? Right? What was it? Si- Simon, Simon. Actually, I did have some emails with them. Um, yeah, we didn't have a, <laughs> a didn't have a great relationship with them. They really freaked out about Primavera, and uh, you know said that I had ruined my career and uh, and like embarrassed them and. I don't, I don't know if it was Simon, somebody at the label. I don't want to throw anybody under the bus. I think it was Simon, but anyways, Fat Possum, I got home and Fat Possum, uh, Matt or yeah, Matt, somebody, yeah, Matthew Johnson from Fat Possum called me and he's like, how you doing? You know, I was down in the dumps. I thought this, cause you know, Bell Union told me I ruined my career. Mm-hmm. I was never going to play music again, whatever it was. And Matthew Johnson was like, what are you talking about? This is great this is rock and roll baby like this doesn't happen anymore like all you need is like one more song and people will love you like people love to see something real like what happened was real you know you're not perfect and i was like Fuck, that's true yeah so. no it's amazing how that you know i had a bad show one night at south by southwest and it was between two labels and at the time we we're trying to figure out who we we're going to sign to and one of the guys from one of the labels came over and gave me this whole like tough love get back out there play the show and the other guy's like uh how you doing i'm like uh oh, pretty shit it's like you want to go play the rest of this thing and it's like not really and it's like well then don't and it was just like oh yeah fuck and it's amazing how when someone shows you compassion and empathy in those moments like that's what you really need you don't need someone telling you you already have all those thoughts going through your head you don't need someone reinforcing all that shit at that moment yeah yeah, hey, there's less compassion and empathy in the world now than like ever before, I feel like. It's like crazy. It's so, so normal to be an asshole. That's why I keep talking about being wholesome and uh, being like nice to people. And people are like, what is this thing that you're like doing? It's a, it's a face turn, baby. Come on. You're baby face now. Baby face, Nathan. And we're going to see this I've uh, but I did the I played the heel game already. We're we're turning face. <laughs> Baby face time. Oh, buddy, I could talk to you forever, and I got I got a lot more questions to ask you. But you come back for a part two at some point. Absolutely, you know I will. Because this has been uh, a long time coming. You know, try to think yeah, when we first any- met. Sorry, go on. No, I was gonna say anytime, anytime you want me, I'm there. When when did we first meet? I'm I'm trying to remember. I think the first time I saw you live was at Primavera. Yeah, I think probably that was the first time I met Steven too. That was the other thing that happened at Primavera was I met Steven and he was like, uh, I think that like Jay Riotard, we might be like breaking up or whatever. And so that like, when I did get offered a show after the fact, I I was like, oh shit, people will still book waves after this Primavera thing. Uh, You know, I called Billy and Steven and they were like, sure. And like, if I hadn't had met them, you know, Steven's been in waves now for like, what, 12 years, yeah. 10, 10, 11 years. Yeah. So, yeah, that's what you did. Is, you did, did you do any touring with Zach Hill on drums? Yeah. Cause you like, you did that for like a, a while before Steven and Billy joined, right? <clears throat> yeah. We did one tour 
um, with Zach Hill. Uh, I think I saw you at Fuck Yeah Fest on that. Fuck it, yeah, that's what it was. Fuck Yeah Fest. And we did one tour. It was just me playing guitar and Zach like soloing on the drums. Uh, and it was, it was cool. It was super different, right? Um, and then Zach, uh, you know, Zach's always like doing like 20 projects at once. So I figured like he would probably be, he was going to like Japan for some, to play on a cruise ship or something like that. I, I was like, do you want to do another tour? He was like, I can. I'm going to Japan to play on a cruise ship. And I also need to get uh, my cavities fixed. And I was like, your cavities fixed in Japan? He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, you can just say you don't want to come. <laughs> That's cool. I understand. But then so I emailed uh, Billy and Steven and, and we went, we, I think it was Mexico City or something like that. We went and we played some show there and. After that, when record King and Beach and yeah. Yeah. It's amazing how you and Steven found each other because it's just like, it's like brothers. I love him. I would do anything for Steven. He's, you know, this Steven's yeah. like, if somebody ever says something, even like mildly disrespectful about Steven in any aspect, even like the air, which he breathes, the clothes on him the general like space around him you know they're not a good person yeah because there's not a there's not a bad thing to say about him yeah and i think uh well i know because from talking to him like you know some of his other music stuff prior to playing with you was some pretty dark time so i think both you guys finding each other was two guys that were like searching for positive (laughs) lights in music for them yeah we it's so it is strange how two like you know clinically depressed um alcoholics could come together and somehow make each other better but it did it, it happened oh definitely like i think it stabilized yeah you know, well it certainly stabilized your sound oh yeah definitely I, my live show was trash before steven came along that's yeah doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that well i think it also just even sonically like i think that's where you know, like the stuff you did with Zach was really cool. And the stuff you did with before that is all obviously considered classic. But I still think once you find Steven and, and Billy too, that in the very beginning, you kind of have like, that's to me when the wave sound really begins to kind of like coalesce. Yeah, I agree with you. I love that guy. I love them both. I love Billy too. I haven't talked to him forever, but I love the guy. Yeah, I haven't talked to Billy probably longer than you haven't. But so if you talk to him say hi say hi to steven for me too i feel like i will we had like we had some fun tours together we did have some fun tours together yeah and you guys are going back out on tour too plug it or do you plug it at the beginning of the show, i, I, right? I like tell smart. people where they can come see it and i'm gonna plug your shit too don't worry i'll plug the patreon and and oh, let's go you, are you still doing uh ghost ramp stuff other than yeah so ghost ramp right now um is like in process of moving to san diego um i'm in san diego now full time uh so we're in process of moving things back here but for the time being ghost ramp is up with just like the tour dates but the merch store and all that stuff is shut down because uh just some like clerical issues like trying to with stock and pressing new things and it gets a little bit tricky i think one of the most fun nights of my life was that night in the ghost ramp store in LA just before you closed down. We used to have some fun there. Dude, that was so fun. And 
just all the people that were there. Like I look back at that as being like, oh, was that, was that with like a, was hood and, and Riley. Justin power Tri- Riley yeah. was there. Power yeah. trip. Yeah. And uh, Travis was there and uh, it was just yeah. a, a really, yeah. Like a really special time to look back on that. Yeah. You know, crazy that they had a store too. You had a store in LA. I did. I had a store in LA. You fucking yeah, did. That it, was man. a fun, that was a fun night, man. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I've always that's one thing I've definitely respected is you've always had this like drive, you know, and I think that's why you've probably not got along with a lot of labels is because I think your drive outpaces a lot of the labels drives. I think it probably bothers a lot of people and I I don't blame them. I think I'm probably like really obnoxious in the sense where I'm like, like a dog with a bone like when i get my teeth on something i'm just like i want to okay let's fucking keep fucking going and some people are like whoa 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 like you know like when i start working with people musically i, I like i'm i all spam text them like you know 20 demos and then and people are like i you know i can't even like listen to all this i'm like oh yeah that's <laughs> That's right. This isn't going to work. But uh, yeah, you know, I feel like I, I feel sometimes I have that like imposter syndrome. I don't know if you ever get this where I'm like, if I don't keep working, like I'm so lucky to be doing this. If I don't keep working to like keep it my reality, then like what a waste. Like this is like what I this is what, you know, making art for a living is what I always dreamed of doing. Like and I, I don't take that for granted. So yeah yeah i guess that's the thing is like it it it, i think everyone's got that imposter syndrome and that's probably what keeps people going in doing it is like if if, if no one if if, as long as i keep moving no one's gonna see that i don't belong here (laughs) yeah that's 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 real what was it you know and once again I, i i you know talk to you forever but like i one thing i wanted to always know what was it like when kind of that tabloid period where your life became almost like fodder for the internet. Like it's almost like the internet sword cuts both ways, right? Like it gives you opportunity, but then at the same time, next thing you know, people are like rooting for your destruction. You have like hipster runoff writing pieces about you and shit. Like that must've been heavy to try and deal with. I didn't, like I sort of liked, I, I like the, I like the back and forth. I like being at odds with people. I used to love it. I used to love thinking like, oh, I don't like somebody and like knowing like, oh, I'm going to come across him at some point. I'm going to get a chance to fucking see that guy. And when I see him, he'll know. But uh, I don't know. I, I, it didn't really bother me that much. I think it was like some of the stuff about about the girls was was disrespectful i think it like that was probably not great but you know it, it comes with the territory and people were already talking shit about me before that anyways like i feel like the the primavera thing was sort of like a crash course and like to a lot of people like you're not even real like you're not you're not really a person you're just like this character that they see uh and so that was good to know like okay I'm like entertainment. I'm not like people don't think about it as human. Even the way people talk about like celebrities, 
you know, with like this, like the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard thing. Like, I feel like they're not even people. They're, they're just too, you know, where like everybody's watching them in court and they're like making jokes about it and stuff. It's like, I, it's very, it's, that's the times we live in, I guess. And it's like crazy, but you know, it is what it is. I guess, Could you know, worse. I listen to the Gilbert Godfrey podcast a lot and they mm-hmm. talked to a lot of old Hollywood people and it seems like they had one with a guy or with someone that was sort of an expert on sort of like the, the, the more sort of like Hollywood legend side of things. And just like, like you're saying, it's always kind of filled that role for people. Like, you know, you're, it's almost like just avatars for people to throw stuff at, at a certain point where you don't humanize these people and you don't realize till you talk to these people that like, everyone's just struggling to survive. <laughs> and, and if we're only here, as long as we can put up with this place or as long as our bodies can hold out. And that's the reality. No matter, no matter how much success someone has, they're still trying to outrun death like the rest of us. Yeah. The, the, the key is to not outrun it. The key is to just accept it. Oh shit. My phone coming close to death. Just accept it. (laughs) I got the, Gardner in the background now, perfect for the podcast. Well, love the guy mowing the lawn in the background during the potty. Well, I we, think one of the main things that I thought was, uh, like, I'll I'll leave you with this one thing. I was like, after all of that stuff happened, it made me reexamine, even like, because people would be like, "Oh, did you see that band?" And I would just be like, "Yeah, they suck." And it even made me reexamine, like there's got to be a different way to like say some of these things. And like, I don't know. I don't know. I think now I'm, I'm starting to, I'm being too soft. Never mind. They suck. <laughs> well, soft or hard, you are always welcome on turn at a punk, Nathan. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. I love you. Thank you, Nathan, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Nathan will be back now for part two at some point in the near future. And I can't wait for that to happen. Just to reiterate what Nathan touched on in there briefly, uh, right now there is a serious epidemic of people overdosing and dying. I mean, friends, when I say this, and I'm sure it's touched people out there in your life, Look into acquiring and how to safely administer naloxone. I think that's how you pronounce it. Naloxone. Narcan is the brand name for it, but it's N-A-L-O-X-O-N-E. Naloxone? I've, I've definitely heard it said out loud, and I don't know why I'm not remembering how to say it right now. But Narcan is the name brand for one of the one of the companies that does this. And this is a, a treatment for people that have overdose specifically on opioids and it, it can save people's life. Um, a, a friend of, of mine and Lauren's of a friend of a friend of ours saved someone's life last week, you know, stop someone from overdosing because they had one of these kits and were able to administer it. So find out more information because this could affect you directly. And even if it's affecting you sort of indirectly seeing someone on the street that maybe you can help. 
Anyway, just thought we'd pass it along. Especially, it doesn't look like it's slowing down. And it's showing up in all sorts of places now when we're talking about fentanyl or or whatnot. Or uh, probably some stuff that I don't even know about. I'm, I'm a little in the dark about that world. But this is something I do know is that Narcan and uh, Naloxone, hopefully I'm saying that right, can save people's lives. So look into finding a way to administer that stuff. All right, that is it for today's show. Coming up on the next episode. Oh, if you might have noticed, showing up in your feed, we now have some of these turned out of punk, uh, well, we have one. So for these turned out of punk archives thing, I'm going to probably put up another one, as I explained on the intro to that. As Fucked Up's going to be going on tour, it's just kind of hard to record all these new episodes, and, and so I kind of want to make sure there's still stuff coming out for people, and so we're going to do Turned Out of Punk Archives, and then a real episode, or not, a new episode. The archives are lost episodes, episodes that are harder to find now from way back when, and Turned Out of Punk History reposted normally, hopefully, sometimes. It will tie into the new episode that's being posted, and so check those out. As I say, the Arcade Fire one is posted. The next one that's coming out, though, is probably the best episode of this podcast that I've ever done. Way back when, episode six with Stephen McDonald, I will be reposting that episode next. And then coming up after that, <laughs> this is a good one. I have not just Stephen McDonald coming back for a part two, but he is joined by his brother, Jeff McDonald. And the two of them are responsible for one of the greatest rock and roll bands ever, Red Cross. And I say this without hyperbole. You go back and you follow Red Cross from the very beginning, like we're talking the hardcore era all the way through to the records are still putting out. They're still unbelievable songwriters. And it's like just a singular vision to not fit in with anything else that's happening. And it's, oh, it's awesome. I'm really excited for you to hear this one. Uh, but check out that first repost of that Steve McDonald episode because that is one of the best conversations I've ever had in my life, not just on a podcast. And we had to record it twice, but you'll hear all about it when I repost it. And that is it for today's episode. Thank you everyone for listening. Remember as always, black lives matter. The lives of indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths, different religions, different races. Just knock all that fucking fascist shit out because these aren't political issues that we're talking about right here. These are these are human rights issues. These are just people wanting to live free and and not have to be subjected to violence and, and hatred. So go out and find organizations you believe in uh, and get involved. Let your voice be heard. Losing the next thing I wanted to say, which is this podcast remains a podcast that respects people's choice of what they want to do with the reproductive systems go out there and, and protect that right if you uh if you're able to still there's some places where they're taking it away and so f hopefully you can fight to get it back but in places like where i'm at right now in canada like these things are not absolutes and these things can be taken away at any time so get involved get involved it'll make you feel better too to get involved speaking of feeling better try and meditate I didn't believe in that shit. No, no, it's not shit. I shouldn't say that. I didn't believe in it. But that's because I was bullshit. And then I tried it. and tr it, it didn't work for me. Tried it again. Didn't work for me. And then eventually it kind of clicked. And I got to say, 
people were right. Everyone else that was talking about this thing for centuries, centuries has been right. And I was very much wrong. It does help. I don't know, it's kind of hard to say, but it does kind of, it's like exercise for your mind to me. It, it sucks while you're doing it. No, it sucks trying to get there to do it. While you're doing it, it's, it's not that bad, but afterwards you feel amazing. So maybe, maybe it'll work the same way for you. Try it. Go out there and make your own culture because punk is something that gets better when you contribute to it. So start a band, start a fanzine, start a record label. You can even start one of these shitty podcasts. You can do anything. Create your own culture. Anyone can do this shit. Anyone. All of it. Start a band. You know, listen to Nathan. Look at what he did. Started doing this stuff in his room. There you go. Who knows where it's going to take you. And I think that is it. Oh, remember to sign your organ donor cards because that can give someone a whole new lease on life. Once again, this is something I've seen happen with my own two eyes. And uh, it's amazing. So sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. They're dead weight. That is it. Leaving you on a bit of a downer. But thank you everyone for listening. And stay safe out there. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye.